0: This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct healthcare advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. Today, we are speaking with Nikki Cook. Nikki is someone who lives with psoriatic arthritis and previously suffered from complex regional pain syndrome, which is also known as CRPS. She is a full-time bachelor's student at the University of Regina, where she is preparing to be a secondary education educator with a major focus in health and a minor in inclusive education. Nikki is an incredible advocate for complex and chronic pain. She has spoken at numerous conferences, presented webinars, and does patient advising for a number of organization and healthcare practitioners around the province. Today, we discuss the importance of social support and self-advocacy while on a pain journey, and I am sure you are all going to learn a great deal from her. So hi, Nikki. Thank you so much for joining us on Your Partners in Pain today. You are our first livid experience advocate that we are speaking to. So thank you for being open and willing to share your story with us today. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> It'll be good. I'm excited. But to begin, can you explain to listeners who may not know what is psoriatic arthritis and what is living with that like?
1: So psoriatic arthritis is an autoimmune disease um, and it encompasses both arthritis aspects, as well as psoriasis, which is, um, a skin condition, um, kind of like a very severe eczema. Um, and they are intertwined. And when I have flares, both of them flare up. Um, so yeah, I've been living with psoriatic arthritis since I was 14. So 10 years now, um, living with it is, it just depends on the day. It's very Sporadic, and it. I go through flares, and then my medications work other days. So it's really just dependent on the day, and if my body decides that it's gonna
0: have a flare. For sure, that sounds really tough. Especially being diagnosed when you're quite young, because I feel like there's a a narrative that arthritis is something that really only happens to people as they age. Yes. Yeah, so
1: when I got first diagnosed, or I should say before I got first diagnosed, um, nobody could figure out what was wrong. And they kept sending me to surgeons and the surgeons kept doing tests and nothing would show up. And psoriatic arthritis doesn't have a specific test to be able to be diagnosed. So like rheumatoid arthritis, you could get a blood test um, or certain uh will show up in an x-ray or on imaging. Psoriatic arthritis doesn't have that. So it's, Pretty much once you've exhausted every other uh, avenue or potential diagnosis, they start you on medication. And if you respond to the medication, then you get your diagnosis. So for months, my parents and I were trying to fight for an answer to what was going on and why I was in so much pain and I couldn't walk and it had affected most of my body and My hands had completely curled up and I couldn't cut my own food by myself. And prior to all of this, I was an elite athlete. I played on like six basketball teams a year. So it was a dramatic change and no one seemed to think it was a big problem and had no answers. And finally, a doctor was just like, we'll just send you to a rheumatologist to rule it out. But pretty much told me, we'll send you to this rheumatologist And you'll be right back here because it's not arthritis. And she saw me and she's like, I don't think it's something else. I definitely think it's arthritis. Um, And then the other tough thing is, is that the medications take six to 12 weeks to start working. So it wasn't even like I go to her office and then I finally get this diagnosis. So it's very frustrating. And especially being the fact that I was 14 I probably got overlooked a lot and I probably would have gotten diagnosed sooner if I had been older.
0: Yeah, I think that's really common with um, more pediatric pain things that they don't think it can be something that they already know about and exist because it's just not the most common presentation. But that sounds like pretty scary when you're a young teenager and you're probably not sure what's going on with you. And maybe a lot of people might not believe you when you're telling them. It just, Yeah, it sounds tough.
1: Yeah, it is. And especially like when it comes to my skin, it's only certain areas of my skin and they're very easily hidden by my clothes or um, my scalp is something that's affected, but I have very long hair. You can't see it. Um, So arthritis is a very um, invisible disease and lots of people don't see that. So when you go to your primary health care provider And you're telling them all these things. They're like, well, it looks fine to me if you don't have severe swelling. Um, Or at school, for instance, lots of my teachers would shove it under the rug because they couldn't see it. They didn't care to note. They didn't care to understand it. They um, were very much like, you don't look sick. You're fine. Move on. So, it really took those specific healthcare providers that actually listened to me and understood that something was going on that wanted to dig deeper and figure out what was going on with me.
0: Well, and with most chronic pain, it seems like because it is an invisible illness, there's so much of that just not being validated, not being accommodated because people just don't understand because they don't see it. So, how can they? They really don't know unless they really ask, which is also an uncomfortable thing to bring up with somebody you may not know very well. Right.
1: Yeah. And the problem that I had a lot of the time with my age was doctors wouldn't speak to me. They would look at my parents that sat right next to me and they would ask her, well, how is she feeling? How was her week been? How is her swelling? And I would be sitting right there. Like I wasn't the patient because I was 14 years old but I was 14 years old diagnosed with something that I would be living with the rest of my life. And it shouldn't have been like, I shouldn't have been glossed over. Uh, so luckily my parents and my mom is amazing. My mom's a nurse. Um, and so luckily as soon as a doctor would do that, she would be like, no, you talk to Nikki. It's not my disease. It's not my joints. So that was really helpful, but that was a big struggle along with being young and having this invisible disease.
0: Well, and I bet you learned how to self-advocate for yourself pretty early on, which is probably why you're such an amazing advocate now, as a lot of people don't really get that experience, but that's so great that your mom was so supportive for you through that.
1: Yeah. So when I was first diagnosed, my parents were obviously there. I was 14 years old, Um, but they were very encouraging on the fact that if I had questions, I needed to ask them. It wasn't, I would talk to my parents beforehand and they would tell the doctor, um, they might have had additional questions to ask throughout the um, appointments, but generally they made it so that I was um the head of that appointment, which was great. And as soon as I got my license in my own vehicle, it was you're going to your appointments by yourself. You need to learn how to manage your medication, you need to be in contact with the uh drugstore to make sure that you have enough medication, you need to pick it up in time. And so of course they would have been there if I needed them or if it was a big appointment or if I had a procedure that needed to be done, or if I just wanted the extra support and wanted them there, they would obviously be there, but their viewpoint on it was you're going to live with this the rest of your life. The sooner that you take the reins on your healthcare and your medication and your appointments, the easier it's going to be once you're an adult. And like now I don't live at home, but if there was ever an appointment that I really needed someone, if my boyfriend wasn't able to come, or if I had some sort of uh, procedure, like my parents would obviously still be there, but it's really nice that once I moved out, it wasn't all on top of me all at once.
0: Absolutely. And a big part of chronic pain management is having that available support system. And I know a lot of people don't, which is where a lot of struggles come in. So I'm super glad to hear that you've had that. But since you did figure out what was wrong with you and you got this diagnosis, how has your life sort of changed if you look at the scope of prior to realizing what was wrong and now living with it every day? Prior
1: to my diagnosis, I was very sports-oriented. That was my life. That was all of my extracurricular activities. Most of my friends and I knew each other through sports. Um, So when I first got my diagnosis, it was really tough to transition from being the person who was super involved with sports to being the sick kid. And the sick kid kind of became my identity in high school. Um, and everybody knew about it and even people that I didn't personally know knew that I was going through all of these struggles because it was very apparent that I wasn't at school as much as I should have been. Um, so it was very tough to kind of figure out who I was outside of sports and extracurricular activities because I couldn't do them at the time. Um, but I think it shaped a lot of, who I am now. I'm very responsible. I'm very independent. Um, and certain experiences that I had in high school were not inclusive and they were not okay. Um, and I think that really helped me to come to understand that I wanted to be in education. So now I'm going to be a high school teacher and I'm majoring in health and I'm minoring in inclusive education. So I, almost want to be that teacher that support at the school that I didn't have when I was going through that but I think overall as much as it sucked being sick for so I don't want to say sick but when I was first diagnosed and my symptoms weren't under control and I was having a lot of mobility problems and my pain was not under control at all and my medications were all over the place with side effects and symptoms and everything it was really hard to see a future after that. And I think now I'm a lot more understanding that everybody has a lot more going on in their lives than what you can see at surface level.
0: Absolutely. Well, and that's, I love hearing the message that you have there where you've taken your experiences, which may have been really, really difficult and you were struggling for a long time by the sounds of it and in a lot of pain, but you're taking that and using it To make better experiences for other people down the line, which is so Mm -hmm. huge. So thank you for that. I love hearing that. I know that you've mentioned you previously also suffered from complex regional pain syndrome, but you're in recovery with that now, which is amazing. But given this, can you speak to really any techniques or therapies or any specific pain management strategies that helped you specifically? Or are you still kind of working through that? Or have you really gotten to a place where you feel pretty good for the most part?
1: I feel like once you find something that works, it could work for years, or it could work for two months, and then it won't work for you. And then you'll remember down the line that you used to do something. Um, I think for me, um, especially with my arthritis for me is finding the balance in all aspects of my life. So it was really difficult for me to learn when I was just tired and I needed to get out of bed and start moving in order for my joints to uh, loosen up and to feel better versus when it was a day where it was like, no, I actually shouldn't be doing any extra physical activity So learning the different aches and the different feelings and the different swelling and stiffness was a really big thing for me. Um, And also knowing that as much as it it feels really nice when you're stiff to just lay on the couch and not move, it gets worse. So it might not feel nice for me in the morning when I get up and start moving. But I know that within that first 20 minutes, I'm going to start loosening up and feeling better. Um, I think another thing for me was just because somebody tells you that something will work, sometimes you need to um, adjust it for yourself. Lots of my healthcare providers would tell me to ice. My joints hate ice. I I hate it. It just makes me want to cringe. Even like if someone like tells me, oh, just ice it. Or like if you get some sort of other injury, it just the pain in my joints not fun. So for me, it's heat. Um, I have hot water bottles. Um, I have the bean bags that you put in the microwave. I have heating pads. I have heated blankets. And those are kind of what helps me get through those really bad aching days. And especially being that we live in Saskatchewan and it gets wonderfully cold here. (laughs) Um
0: <laughs> that's a good way to put it, yes.
1: <laughs> One, it's great. Um, but for me, once I let um if I let myself continue to stay cold, my joints get worse. So if I come home from being outside or uh from school or from work or wherever, um if I'm cold, the quicker I can warm myself up, the less my joints hurt tomorrow. So hot baths, all of that kind of stuff. I used to try to stay away from anti-inflammatories or any sort of oral medications. And I I really don't know why. I think for me, it was more like, oh, I don't want to have to take a Tylenol or I don't want to have to take an Advil. But then it gets to a point where it's too much for that Tylenol or that Advil to start working. So for me, it's trying to nip it in the butt before it gets too bad. And it's not the end of the world. If you take a Tylenol every once in a while. And I think it took a long time for me to accept that it's okay for me to do that. Or it's okay for me to have anti-inflammatories that my doctor gives me that I take as needed. So I think just finding the balance of it's for me, it really is just balance and figuring out when my joints need a break and when I can push through.
0: Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of people have struggles when they have pain of, you know, as you said, like there is that trial and error and physicians will often say, well, this works for this patient. So it should obviously also work for you, but it becomes so individualized for each person. And it's just a matter of working through to figure out what works, what doesn't. And also just having um, self-compassion and care for yourself and knowing when no, I really do need to rest today and just kind of accepting that's how it's going to be today and just pace yourself and be okay with it, which is kind of hard to deal with when you're a young person who wants to be out playing sports and doing all the things that young teenagers are doing. It is. And even,
1: even finding friends that maybe don't necessarily understand what I'm going through because I don't have any friends who also have a diagnosis of arthritis, But having friends or family members that just understand you. And when I say I don't feel good, um, they don't make you feel bad about not going to an event because you're just not feeling good, whether it's the side effects of your medications or the side effects of the actual arthritis. I think for me, one thing that I really like is whether it's my family members or my boyfriend or my friends, they've kind of gotten to a point where they don't ask me too many questions, which is nice. I don't, I don't want to talk about it all day. If they notice that I'm sitting there and I'm kind of like, Oh, it's a, it's a day today. They'll typically just be like, are you okay? And I'll just say, you know, I actually just, I don't feel good or my back really hurts today. And then that's it. It's not, did you take something? Did you ice? Did you put heat on? Did you do this? Cause I know all of those things. So if having, um, a surrounding of friends and family that just understand that you need to do whatever is best for you and not be bombarded with questions or concerns or make you feel bad for not having a great day is really important in my life as well.
0: For sure. And I bet that will resonate with a lot of people because when you're in pain, it's not like you're not thinking about it a vast majority of the time when you are having a flare up. So just trying to keep your mind um, with healthy distractions to focus away from. And it doesn't always help when you've got all your loved ones being like, do this, do this, do this. It has to become like your own decision on how to manage it for sure.
1: Right. And it's also distraction is a great way to, because when you are in pain, it's always in the back of your mind or when you're less busy. So even on days where I'm not feeling the best, I'll try to do things still, even if it's just watching a movie that I really like or playing on my phone or reading a book or whatever it is, because for those few minutes that you can kind of escape, you're not thinking about that as much. So those people who don't constantly ask you how you're feeling, it's a lot easier to forget that you are not feeling great that particular day.
0: For sure. And I think that's a great pointer for listeners who maybe know someone in chronic pain but don't experience it themselves. I think that's like a really good takeaway. I know that you have spoken at a number of conferences and helped do advising as a patient advocate for physicians and different organizations. So can you speak to how you got interested or started in that?
1: I don't even remember what my first conference or talk was. I, There's been so many and I'm so grateful for all of the opportunities I've had. Um, Like I said, my mom's a nurse and my mom uh, knew a couple healthcare providers who had reached out to her and just asked, would your daughter be interested in um, answering a few questions to be published or speaking for 10 minutes at this event? The doctor that I was seeing for my CRPS when I was 17, once I was no longer her patient and once I was an adult, she had reached out to me as well. And that opened up a lot more avenues to just talk about chronic and complex pain um, in general. So including my experiences with arthritis and CRPS together, which was really cool. Um, And I met so many people and it always amazes me when I get asked to do something because to me, it's just everyday life. Um, And I kind of forget that people my age don't all deal with it because it's just so normal to me, but I love it. And if I can help one person or even just make someone feel like they're not completely alone, because when I got diagnosed at 14, the only people that I knew that had arthritis were my grandparents. I didn't have any outlets to talk to. I didn't have anyone with experiences or potential like hacks or techniques to help me feel better. I didn't have any of that. So while I got lucky lucky with having a really close-knit family that was really supportive to me, I didn't have anyone who had a lived experience to kind of connect with.
0: It's so important, I think, to share your story if people are open and willing, because you never know when somebody is gonna see a presentation you've given or written a blog that you've done or read a blog that you've written. I I mean to say just so that they do Have that feeling of solidarity and don't feel alone, especially when you are a pediatric patient. Like, I can't imagine like how isolating that would have been for you. But from the patient perspective, then, what do you wish to say to clinicians who are treating pain? I know you touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but... If you could do it over again, what would you like some of the healthcare providers to know?
1: Well, once I found my rheumatologist and my specific team, like the team that I still work with today is amazing. And, um, I wouldn't have continued to work with them if they were not amazing. Um, but I think from a patient perspective, and I mean, maybe if I didn't have a mom who wasn't a nurse, I wouldn't have known that, um, you can advocate yourself for yourself and you can ask for specific things. And I think it's really important to know that if you do have a patient who's lived with something for um, years, they do have some sort of understanding of what's going on. Um, and I've had doctors who don't want to listen to what I have to say. And they went to med school and they know what's best and this is what we're going to do. And I'm not saying that I know everything in medicine and that I understand what we're going to do to fix this problem, but it is my life. And ultimately it is my decision whether or not I want to go on a medication or come off of a medication or do some sort of other therapy. So for me, my doctor who is phenomenal, she, if I have a flare say in my wrist, if I go in and see her, she will give me three to four options of what we can do. And given I've been seeing her for 10 years, so she usually has a very good idea of which one I'm going to choose because I hate needles. So as soon as a cortisone injection is an offer, it's usually at the bottom of the list. Um, However, she gives me those options and it it kind of puts the power and the ball back in my court and I get to take the reins of my own life. Um, so I think that for me is really important. And another thing that I found really important is that um, there's so many different aspects that play into chronic pain. So I've seen doctors where all they want to know is how I'm feeling physically and how my, joints or when it was CRPS, how my leg looked and that was it. Where my rheumatologist, when I see her, it's how's school, how's work, how's your home life, how are you sleeping? All of those aspects of my life directly play play a role in my stress levels and my immunity. And um it directly correlates with how my joints feel, how much swelling I'm having, my stiffness. And it also gives her an idea of how we can fix any issues that there are. So looking at a patient as a whole is a really important thing for me and treating your patient like a human being and asking them if they understand, like lots of people don't understand a lot of medical jargon. You are a human being. I've had doctors be more excited to see, um, a 24 year old who's had all of these medical issues But they don't actually like see me as a person. Reiterating that it's important to learn about yourself is another thing for me. I know when I first got diagnosed, I didn't want to know anything. I didn't want to know the possibilities or what could potentially happen with my joints, but having an understanding of the actual diagnosis or illness or disease um, gives you a little bit more power over it, I think. Um, So giving your patients those opportunities to learn and ask questions and advocate for themselves and make their own decisions is really important to me.
0: Absolutely. And I would agree with all of that for sure. I think one limitation that we have in our current healthcare system is that we get such a limited amount of time. Mm -hmm. So even there might be situations where a care provider wants to have more of a dialogue with their patient, but they are literally so constrained. And that's That's an issue I'm sure that you're going to help work towards with your education. And hopefully we can see some reform there, which would be amazing. Yep. Do you have anything to say on the flip side of this to someone who has just been diagnosed and are maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed with this new label that they're not really sure what to do with? It's a process. It's
1: getting a diagnosis that you're going to live with for the rest of your life. It's a it's a process. For most people, it takes you a very long time to receive the diagnosis. So there's been a lot of wait time, there's been a lot of unanswered questions and I know for me when I first got my diagnosis, I had seen a different doctor not my rheumatologist. I had gone back to a different surgeon and he looked at me and he said, "Well, aren't you happy you finally got a diagnosis?" And I was like, "No, I'm not." I would have been really happy if I had torn something and I needed a surgery and I would have been healed and fully rehabbed in two years. So finding out that you have, um, for me, finding out I had arthritis at 14, it, it was a bit of a relief to have a rheumatologist to have a plan of, um, attack on how to get my joints under control again. But I went through a full grieving process of the fact that I'm going to live with this forever. Um, I had to give up certain activities that I did at the competitive level and nobody really talked to me about that. And it was more of just, here's your diagnosis, take it and run with it. And I got really depressed and I didn't know that that was normal. I didn't know that it was okay to be upset or to be angry or to ask, like, why did I have to have this? Like, that's not fair to me. None of my other friends in grade nine have to get needles every week and learn how to give themselves needles and have to give up basketball. So, knowing that it's okay to be upset and it's okay to be sad and it's okay to um, accept that, but also knowing that. You don't want to stay upset and you don't want to stay depressed because at the end of the day, it, it doesn't limit me as much as I thought it would when I was 14. Would I probably still be playing competitive basketball at 24? Probably not. I wasn't good enough to continue to play into my twenties. I'm also only five foot seven. So was not in the deck of cards for me, but at the time it felt like everything was over. And once, I've, once I had accepted that that was just going to be part of my life and um, it was going to be there every day and it, it got better, as tough as that is to say aloud that it's going to be there every day and that this is something that you think about all the time. There are a lot of days that I forget that I have arthritis because it's been 10 years and I don't really remember what it was like to not have arthritis. Um, so it does get better and you figure out ways to work through it and you find out what works for you and you find your support system and you find your doctors that listen to you and treat you like a human and, um, it gets better, but it's okay at that beginning diagnosis to be sad or to be upset because it's a lot to take in. And it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to go talk to somebody, whether it's a family member or a psychiatrist or a psychologist or a counselor, like those things are available and those things are okay to do. And that wasn't given to me right at the beginning of my diagnosis. And I just held everything in and I didn't want anybody to know that I was that upset about it. Um, But once I started talking to people and realizing that it's okay, it got a lot easier to accept my diagnosis in the end.
0: Yeah. A lot of people with chronic pain, when they get a diagnosis, they come to this crossroads where they're realizing I might have to give up a lot of the dreams that I had and I might not be the same person that I used to be. But as you've said, there's always ways and methods and therapies and people to help you learn how to live well. And that's why it's so important to have that holistic care model Mm -hmm. where there's different people from different disciplines to like look at your everyday stressors, maybe help manage diet, maybe just make some adjustments to the expectations that you've had so that you know that things are going to be okay and you are going to improve. So I love that message that you have there for sure. Exactly. Nikki, thank you so much for your willingness to share your story. It's so important as it can help raise awareness and sharing your experiences will actually help someone else who is currently on the same journey as you. And I'm sure you've given them lots to consider and to look forward to as well, knowing that things do improve and get better. But the last question I have for you, since this is a Saskatchewan-based podcast, what is one of your favorite things about living in Saskatchewan? Or is there something or somewhere that you really love about the province? I love the open space.
1: I love our landscape is probably one of my, uh, favorite parts about living in Saskatchewan. I'm not a huge fan of the minus 45, <laughs> but I do love winter. Um, my joints do not, but I personally do. Um, and I spend a lot of time out at Catapua. Uh, my parents have a place out there, so we spend a lot of time on a Catapua Lake and I love it. And Again, if it wasn't minus 40 during winter, I'd probably spend a lot more time outside during the winter. Um, but uh, I love everything about Saskatchewan and I will probably never leave.
0: So amazing. What an endorsement for our province. I love it. And I feel like a lot of people, they really resonate with uh, the wide open space, the beautiful big sky, and Nature is absolutely healing. If you're someone with chronic pain, getting outside can feel so good as long as it's not minus 50 with the wind chill, yeah. for sure. <laughs> but awesome. Thanks so much, Nikki, for your time today. And thanks for having me. What an incredible patient advocate. Nikki did indicate that if anyone would like to reach out to her or has questions about patient advocacy or psoriatic arthritis, she would love to speak to you. And you can email her at her personal email, which is ncook121, that is spelled ncooke k e one two one at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Your Partners in Pain. And we are looking forward to speaking to another patient who will give us more information on complex regional pain syndrome in a future episode thank you for listening to your partners in pain a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain funding for this podcast was provided by the saskatchewan community initiatives fund and the saskatchewan pain society for more information about our organization or to find additional resources Please find us on social media at SASPain or visit our official website, www.saspain.ca.